Welcome to this episode of Shoulder to Shoulder, where we strive to grow in love of the Lord and each other. I am Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. Welcome, welcome. We had a break of a one week, but now we're back and we're so excited to be in the studio again, um, just sharing our love for each other and the Lord. It's wonderful, this friendship. Amen. So, so Megan, I often contemplate whenever I come across things um, about our friendship and just how beautiful ours is. Like mm. when I start to read about friendships, I think, okay, this is my litmus test. <laughs> I have a couple of other friendships as uh-huh. well, you know, that well-ordered right. toward the good. I was reading yeah. um, Francis de Sales' Introduction to Devout Life. Okay. It's got a whole great section on there. And mm-hmm. that's what I was recalling it. That's cool. But the topic today, well, go ahead. Well, oh, I was just going to say, well, we should do it sometime. Like we should go through it uh, yeah, on the show. I thought about do that Do a little, little it's series It's just a couple of it. chapters. Well, hey, so good. Yeah, you, yeah. couples of chapters, you dig into them. That could take you, you know, six or seven episodes. <laughs> and it's wonderful because it also has how to get rid of, like my terms, toxic relationships mm-hmm. or friendships as right. well, which is really great. Yeah. One of the things that I'm really just finding, you know, so much of our podcast is ordered towards growing in holiness, both in our relationship with God directly, but also as it relates to our relationship with others, right? And what I'm really just finding is the more and more um, the individuals within a relationship are truly striving for holiness, the deeper you can go. And so like the limits of what you thought could be achieved in relationship start kind of being surpassed. And I think that has a such an analogy to our relationship with the Lord as well, where it's like what, one of the things my spiritual director always is saying to me is there's always more. There's a- right. And so it's the sense of like, so often I think we function in a place of what I'm going to term unholy contentment. Mm. There's the contentment that comes with just gratitude for what you have and, and and really truly resting which is good but what i'm defining is unholy unholy contentment is this idea of there can't be more it's good enough good enough you know okay. like it's it, and so then it comes into a place of complacency yeah. and you know what i think also comes from out of that a lot of times you then can go into a place of presumption which can is actually a sin mm. as it relates to God. And so this idea we shouldn't presume that there's, you know, we've it's enough or there can't be more or I'm, you know, getting it done to the to the extent that it needs to be done. Like it's like this again, what I always talk about, the both and, right? Mm-hmm. You can both be grateful and content for what you have and desiring the more. And that's not only in our relationship with God, but also our relationship with each other. And I think that's going to come into play a fair bit in our conversation today. Yes, ma'am. So what is one of the most rep- important relationships that most of us have? Not all of us. If you have been called to marriage, you understand what I'm talking about. And our topic today is self-sacrifice in marriage. Yeah. And that term self-sacrifice is not like one where most people are like, yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's painful. Yeah. It can be really painful. And Mm -hmm. it's sometimes it's also not clear when we're called to self-sacrifice and when we're called to stand up and say, I want more. 
right? Because this right. point of sometimes that area of self-sacrifice says, well, you know, I have a really good spouse and, you know, I shouldn't ask for more because he's a, you know, I'm going to speak as a woman. He's a, you know, he's a good provider or, you know, he's good with the kids or this, that, you know, you, but then the, but then you acknowledge that maybe there's this longing in your heart for something more. Should you give that up? Should you self-sacrifice? It is. So that discernment, that question of when are we called to die to ourselves in a relationship mm -hmm. and when are we called to strive for the more? That's such a good question. I think that's why we're doing this episode today because I think we all face it in not just our marital relationship, but with close, intimate friends. Maybe it could be even family members as well. Um, especially like with our parents and trying to honor them. I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of self-forgetfulness is necessary. But, you know, Megan, I, I'm going to be counting on you to make sure we are looking at correct boundaries too, because that's yeah. not my forte and it is definitely one of yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm thinking on that. Like, when did I become ordered towards healthy boundaries? I don't think I always was, Okay, honestly. Um, especially... If you're functioning out of a place of, I need to earn love, mm. that I, I need to please in order to be worthy of love. Right. That's the, the root sin of vanity for sure. Yeah. That, I, if you're functioning out of that place, you can really struggle with healthy boundaries because mm -hmm. you, you get in that place of like, well, I don't deserve any better. And, you know, if, if I call somebody out about something, you know, they're not going to love me or I don't, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, or, or just an overall discomfort, you know, we'll, we'll call that some sensuality of just confrontation. Like yeah, some people and, cannot yeah, even definitely. handle confrontation. Some people mm -hmm. like it, you know, some people can't. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is, is that idea I, of the more sensual idea of like, I'm going to avoid conflict because it's just uncomfortable for me. A lot of times what that means is, is you're actually not avoiding discomfort. You're just internalizing the discomfort and not allowing it to be shared in a way that's going to affect any change. Right. Because somebody who avoids conflict but has a place of lack of peace, dissonance or fear or whatever it is that they're they would want to bring up, but is avoiding because they don't want the conflict. They still have that stuff all inside them and it's not going to find any relief. It's not going to find any um, resolution. So you just then have to suffer it by yourself and the very act that could potentially bring change you have avoided because of that discomfort. So right. you basically in the end, you know, people think they're avoiding discomfort, but they're actually just avoiding a specific discomfort and they're perpetuating a discomfort within themselves. And, but they find that easier to deal with a lot of times. Right. So this is the type of self-sacrifice we're talking about in marriage when we need to, you know, just pull up our, ourselves by our bootstraps and, and face those discomforts, those hard topics, you know, those crucial conversations. Right. Because I think a lot of times the idea that self-sacrifice always has to look like I shut up, 
I just accept something. I, you know, don't get my way. I, you know, abandon myself to the circumstances. It doesn't actually always look like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the self-sacrifice is I'm going to get over my fear of confrontation, of speaking truth into a situation I'm going to overcome that for the good of the relationship. Right. That is a self-sacrifice too. And in that place, you also may be making a self-sacrifice of the sort of warm fuzzies the other person might be feeling about you. They might get mad at you. They might ice you out. They might, you know, respond in a way that makes you uncomfortable. And you've got to say, am I willing to sacrifice that sort of, feeling of peacefulness in the relationship for a greater good. And these are places of discernment, right? right? And you, you, there's not going to be like always this or always that, you know, right. it's just, and I think a lot of the times the question is what can I reasonably hope to accomplish through either path and which, which decision is going to be more ordered towards the good and the true. Right. Right. But you know, Megan, I want to roll it back to like um, a little more simplistic terms too for say beginners or just mm -hmm. um, not even just beginners, but just real simple stuff too when it calls for a certain amount of self-sacrifice. And that is, <laughs> here's a good one. When you're both in the car driving and the person that's the passenger is telling the person that is driving you need to do, you need to park here. You need to go there. You do this, um, that kind of micromanaging thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So in a way it is a sacrifice for the person that's doing the backseat driving to just be quiet and let the person drive. <laughs> I mean, that's a more simplistic yeah. view, but this is a real thing. Yeah. I struggle with it still. I know all that, but I'll find myself, well, you're going to miss your turn when his, you just missed the turn. No, that's not the way I'm going. You know, that right. kind of thing. Oh, well, I can totally relate to that because I experienced that really strongly just this past weekend. We were driving home from our country house and we were on 99. And for those of you who know 99, it's people go 80, 80 on 99, <laughs> like standard. Like that's just like that is kind of the going thing. And my husband is a much more cautious driver than I am and just much more patient. I will 100% acknowledge that. So we're going for a while on 99, going like 63. I was literally dying inside. <laughs> I like I just kept looking over I was like, over to the left lane. Now, granted, there were some cars coming, so you know it wasn't like a totally clear thing. And we were behind a vehicle that was towing a trailer, and so that's why that person in front of us was going slow. And I was. I was like, let's find the first possible opportunity to pass. And he, he was just functioning out of a much more of a place of patience. And, you know, I'll pass if and when, you know, a really big opening comes. It was a fight within me to just <laughs> zip it. Right, right. Right. And so I get it. Yeah. Right. Because just something as simple as that, you know, where you can just. Those little things. I mean, I think we have to start with all the little things or continue to work on the little things and build up to the bigger things. Well, because because Christ, he says himself, if you're not faithful in small things, you won't be faithful in big things. So why do you think that if you can't even keep your mouth zipped about something simple as that, 
that you're going to be able to die to self in a situation that's much more significant, exactly. right? And, and really so what true. it comes down to is in the end, it's the same thing. You're not doing it the way I would do it. Mm-hmm. And it's that place of, I know the better way and I want to assert mm-hmm. my way. And, <laughs> you know, that thinking is always going to cause conflict in a relationship, right? Because that's not cooperative thinking. That's, you know, prideful thinking Mm -hmm. really. Um, But if we constantly in the little things are asserting that attitude, we're, yeah, we're going to struggle. Yeah. I have another example too, that I think you'll probably appreciate too. um, I heard a friend of mine with large family, you know, I've had, I have a large family. I mean, not so many at home anymore, but there was this kind of this rule. If you ask someone to do something for you, you can't tell them exactly how you want it done. You need to let them do it how they'll do it. Mm -hmm. So like one of the big ones you hear across the board is loading the dishwasher because everybody's a little different, right? Right. Yeah. And how many moms go back through and like shuffle it around after the kids have done it because they didn't like the way they did it. That kind of thing. That's another type of it. small but it can be significant to just mm-hmm. like let them do it, die to self, back off. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks be to God they're doing that chore. Yeah. And I also think that it's really good if you find something like that is really hard, like it really like raises your hackles. Because let's be honest, going a little slower on a highway or loading a dishwasher in a different way in the grand scheme of things, is really not a big deal. Yes. I mean, it, those are like super insignificant details in life. But if if you f- feel like something raising up in you that yeah. seems really much more significant than the situation, it's really good before you do anything else to take that pause and ask yourself, like, why am I like caring about this so much? Mm-hmm. What is it speaking to me that... You know, yeah. it's it's such a big deal. Why am I so irritated by this? Why? Yeah. I mean, I ask myself that question too on silly stuff like we're just talking about. Like, why is this irritating? Mm-hmm. Where's my sin in that? Yeah. It's silly. Right. And I can say that, you know, just I didn't actually do that um, when I was having this little driving thing <laughs> on the weekend, but I'm, I just did it while we were talking. And I, I realized why I found it so difficult. It's because when you are, when, if you're driving and your speed is being dictated, not by your desire, but by the person in front of you, you're in a place of less control. Mm-hmm. You've, you've been, you're, you're like, you're being imposed upon in your um, autonomy about how you want to function. Yes. And that place Okay, that you can work with. You can say, "All right, why am I? Why do I feel I need to have so much control over my circumstances in that way?" Like, so then they can lead you to deeper places that don't have even necessarily to do with the dynamics of your relationship, but actually the interior place within oneself that's not really completely abandoned to mm-hmm. things. Yeah, uh, that makes sense, and in our relationships, obviously as well. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, know, that stuff. All of them across the board, but, you know, yeah. the self-sacrifice in marriage that we're talking about. Um, 
I like to talk about the sacramental aspect of it because it is one of the sacraments of sacrifice, right? Well, as well as like, um, I don't know, penance is, not, is a sac- sacrament of mercy and healing. healing. Yeah. I always think of it as a sacrament of vocation, mm. but it is how you're called to die to oneself. Yeah. Put the other before, you mm-hmm. know, husbands love their Absolutely. wives as their own bodies. Yeah. Why don't we read that? Cause I have it open in the Bible and I think you can't really have this topic without reading Absolutely. the classic, uh, from St. Paul. Oh, and the obedience part too. That was right. Another good you know, one. <laughs> and, and don't you love it? Like that was last Sunday. I don't know about you, but I go crazy with annoyance when it's a Sunday where this reading comes up and they bracket it and don't read the whole thing yes. because they don't want to like get women all upset. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Can I just like take a pause and speak uh, to that absolutely. for a moment? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Come on, Megan. Yeah. This idea that we're going to edit scripture to protect people's feelings is a real problem. <laughs> real problem. We don't get to pick and choose what's in scripture and we shouldn't be picking and choosing what gets read at the mass. If that's the full form, you read the full form. And if we, if there are things that need to be dealt with in a person, if they have something come up in them because of that mass, the gospel homilies, they aren't meant to just make you feel good. They are meant to challenge you to grow in holiness. And I would say this, if you get your hackles raised about something that's read out of scripture, you need to deal with that. There's something that needs addressing in your heart. And if you truly deeply want to grow in holiness, you should want the full truth exposed to you, not just from the gospel, but acknowledging the truth about yourself as well. So this, you know, pussyfooting around stuff, like feeling like we have to protect everybody's feelings is not merciful. It's not just, and it is not the gospel. Well, it's the political correctness that now we've seen run amok and look where it leads us. It should not, it should have no part in the church. No part. So if you're, I, I'm, if you're listening to this right now and you're getting your hackles raised about what I'm saying, if you want to grow in holiness, you need to address that. Right. The gospel should not be edited. Period. End of story. It is God's word breathed into the world. Amen. Full stop. All right, let's read it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Ephesians 5, chapter 21. No, sorry. Chapter 5, verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. So, now, I think what really comes up with this, Megan, for a lot of people is it's it can be either direction one-sided. What I mean by that, you have one spouse that's truly trying to live this mm-hmm. gospel passage, whether it's the wife or it's the husband, but it's not equally balanced. Right. And the odds that it will be equally balanced are very low. It's very uncommon to have two individuals in any relationship that are truly at the same point in their spiritual life. I mean, when that happens, oh, my gosh, like I can't even (laughs) like honestly to imagine to be in a marriage like that is pretty, pretty hard. I think it's pretty rare. So then the question becomes, what do you do when you're not in the ideal, right? Because this is the ideal, right? The ideal is a woman has no problem subjecting herself to the authority and leadership of her husband because her husband is so perfectly ordered towards Christ that they, it's like one in the same. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to say, Oh, I, to be subject to Christ is one thing, but to be subject, subject to my husband is the other, because if the husband's heart and mind and soul are so perfectly ordered towards Christ and unified with him in will, it's one in the same. But, that's not where most of our husbands are at. Right. And most wives are not loving the way God loves. I mean, we're not most of the time a bunch of Holy Spirit like souls out here just loving with perfect mercy and perfect generosity and perfect receptivity and all that is perfection. So men are called to lead and yet they don't lead perfectly in God's will. Women are called to love, and yet we don't love with the beauty and generosity and lack of self-protection that the Lord does. Yeah. So how do we live in the imperfect? That's such a great question. I mean, you know, we're called for that obedience, and it, I, I, I love, We I think we've done it before, but it, we could always revisit the obedience aspect of it. Because I think so many times when we hear it, we kind of like, you know, we have that little visceral Mm -hmm. reaction, you know. Um, But really what that is, is like, if we're obedient to God, we're following his rules and we're safe and happy in those parameters, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we need to like really understand obedience better. And it's living in within God's rules mostly. So I think sometimes when they hear obedience, they're thinking, well, my husband has certain un, undesirable demands or well, and this not, is not appropriate demands, maybe. Right. And so to be obedient to him is difficult, but we want to reframe it back towards the obedience really comes from God, like obedience to God's laws. Right. And I think that makes a good point is that the idea that, okay, so it can be easy to to make the assumption that when it says, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands to think that means everything, everything. But the reality is, is that we are always called by, by Christ's own words to put love of God before anything else. So when you get into a situation where those two things are diametrically opposed, when the will of God in your life and the will of your husband are at odds the tiebreaker 
always goes to God. Like, especially if the husband is asking you to do something that's sinful. Right. Right. And so you're never subject to anybody to sin. And so that needs to be remembered very clearly that this is not just saying you are a little slave to your spouse and to your husband and you do everything he says regardless. No, that is not what it's saying. It's saying as the husband is leading as head of the home in the will of God, he gets the final say about what goes as far as decisions and things like that. When there's a difference, but when there's a decision to be made between two goods, the, the tiebreaker goes to the husband as the one who has authority over the home. Not when it's between sin and goodness. And, but I still think Megan, people have a women in general have a really hard time with that. And, and, you know, I'm glad we're bringing it up on the podcast today because it's one of those reframings that we really want to do is the husband being the head of the home. And I love that old quip from my big fat Greek wedding that said, the husband, he is the head of the family, but the woman, she is the neck and she can turn that <laughs> neck anywhere <laughs> right, she wants. Yeah. And I think that's a really great analogy of, of the relationship. Uh, the way I frame it sometimes too, is that, you know, the, the guys make the bigger decisions because we as are real emotional creatures, right? And they're mm-hmm. less emotional. It's just the way God created them. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm generalizing, but for the most part, that's right. true. Um, but we are there for all the underground, uh, under underneath the surface kind of um, emotional stuff. But the ultimate decision is his. And, and, and when there's contradiction in that, what do we do? We have the obligation to say, I don't agree with you. This is what I think should be done, but I'm going to follow you because you are my husband and you're the head of this household. Now that's happened in my relationship before to which then my husband will much later, not in the moment, (laughs) not in the moment, but much later says it made me pause and to reevaluate what we're talking about Mm. when we disagree on a big, this is a big decision. Yeah. And I would say that if a wife feels very confident that her husband is making decisions out of love and not out of control and pride. It's so much easier to say, you know what? Yeah, I think I would, I would make a different decision, but I trust your motivation and I trust that you truly are desiring the good of me and our whole family. So you know, I'm going to concede to that. Like how you build up the dynamic before you make big decisions makes a big difference on how you're able to submit. So I would say, you know, in my own marriage, my husband is very um, open handed as far as decisions I make on the day to day. Right. You know, like he clearly respects my ability to make decisions and he's happy to let me make decisions in freedom. And so because I've been so built up in that like confidence in his trust in me and the fact that he's not trying to Lord himself over me in any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he probably defaults more towards like more freedom than I probably should have honestly. Mm -hmm. But so when he does step up and say, you know what? No, 
I'm going to, I'm going to have to insist on this. That whole history of him not like of him being free and open handed in things that he didn't feel the need to step into is remembered. Mm -hmm. And I am so much more easily able to say, wow, okay, you know, like this is serious to you, for you. You really feel like this is the way to go. So, you know what? You've given me a lot of freedom and you've really respected me. So I'm going to respect you here. Right, right. So that whole thing is when the, if you're not constantly be beaten down with, you have to obey me, you have to obey me, you have to obey me. When you're given respect and trust, it changes everything about how you feel about the submissions when they need to happen. Right. And I love that you're using the word respect because I find, um, you know, the love and respect. There's a book by Father. Oh, I forget his last name, but it's called Love and Respect. And it says women desire love, men desire respect. That's how we receive it. But as I've aged and in our marriage, I find that respect is huge for me too. I would like a certain level of respect, but that's harder to internalize what is exactly is. So what, what it is exactly to respect the people in your household. And I think it starts with courtesy, you know, mm -hmm. and that can be a part of self-sacrifice as well. You may not feel particularly that day, you have to overcome, get it like we talked about um, before, kind of use a little executive function. Uh, mm -hmm. You're not feeling particularly respectful, but you know that that is what's good and, and, and lovely, as, as we said, the fruit of the spirit, to be respectful. So that's being kind and generous in the moment, regardless of how you feel. And I think that's a beautiful self-sacrifice that we're called to in marriage over and over again. Yeah. And another point, though, there, Megan, is sometimes people say, well, my spouse isn't very respectable. Well, so what? You can respect them anyway. Well, how? Through courtesy and trying to, to just see their human dignity within them, even if that's the way you're feeling. It's just a feeling. Right. I do think sometimes we are quick to infer what other people's motivations are. And we, we often um, come, we jump to conclusions that are the least gracious um, where we think, okay, my husband's doing that because he doesn't respect me or my wife's doing that because she thinks I'm an idiot or that she's, you know, domineering or the husband is controlling, whatever these things, you know, like, and so when we do that, when we come to the worst conclusions about the motivations of our spouses, we're constantly going to be in a place of feeling like we need to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those self-protection mechanisms come up so quickly. And the, really the antidote to that is communication. Instead of inferring and projecting onto the other person, why they're doing what they're doing, why they're saying what they're saying, Ask them, you know, say your husband is saying that he wants to do something and you don't think you should do it. And you're like, okay, I understand that right. this is what you want to do. Why do you feel this is the right path? Mm -hmm. Like, can you explain it to me? What, what are the goods you're hoping to bring out of this? Talk about it. That's right. And then you can try to come to some understanding. You may not agree, 
But at least you can understand, all right, he, he or she is not doing this or saying this because they don't respect me or they don't love me or they, they're just being a jerk. Like, no, they actually have good reasons. And, but sometimes they don't. And if that comes out, that they really don't have good holy reasons, that needs to be spoken up to. Right. And, you, and so sometimes people mistake the idea of respect for never opposing. But it's actually more respectful to somebody to say, you're better than that. I'm calling you to hire. And I think you have the ability to hear these words without freaking out, crumbling into, you know, some sort of pity party for yourself or going down a path of anger. Right. Like, I respect you enough to speak this to you in love to say, no, that's not a holy motivation mm -hmm. or no, that actually has some really significant downsides that you're not addressing. Like, that's respectful. Because mm -hmm. you know what it is? It's treating somebody like an adult instead of like a child who just can't handle it. It's true. But unfortunately, Megan, we, you know, there's so many of us they are so broken right now. We don't have that um, emotional maturity. And that's a real problem these days. So that's a question. How do you deal respectfully with a person who lacks the emotional maturity Great to hear question. truth? Yeah. I don't have an answer to that one. Well, my understanding of that is it's never going to help if you just continue to treat them in a way that doesn't call them to hire. Right. So you may not be able to be quite as explicit, you know, as you would be with somebody who's more capable of hearing difficult things. But I think you can't just cave to that because as a vocation, marriage is meant to call each other to deeper levels of holiness. And while say, you know how I always love to use examples of physical stuff. Okay. Say somebody has an injury, an acute injury, right? Like, so they're going to need crutches for a while and you're going to need to walk real slow with them. If they have, say they have a broken ankle, you know, they're going to, they got a cast on, they have crutches. You need to walk real, real slow. But you shouldn't stay, let them stay in the seat all day. Right. They've okay. got to walk. Like mm -hmm. they've got to put a little pressure on that wound to, it's, it's the, it's the pressure that actually starts the healing. Right. And then as you get a little more, you walk a little farther, then the cast comes off and, you know, you're still walking kind of slow, but you're increasing the exposure. So you need to continue that process and not just say, I'm just going to let them stay on the couch and not move for six weeks. Like, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Right. <laughs> Growth will not happen. And if that's the real goal to be people who encourage and challenge each other, each other to grow, we're going to need to push into some places of discomfort in order for healing to begin. And that's really what it is. Right. And isn't that part of our, our 
our job as uh, spouses, a part of the self-sacrifice too, is to be there to encourage one another in their healing journey. Yeah. And to not to do so is to miss the mark. Right. And in part of the self-sacrifice of the person who maybe is in a quote-unquote better place as far as their spiritual maturity is going to have to be that walking really slow. Yeah. Accepting that it's not going to happen overnight and you're going to feel impatient and you're going to feel like you're not seeing a lot of progress. But I'll say this. You think God doesn't feel that way about us all the time? All the time. (laughs) Right? How slow are we going in his eyes? Yeah. Right? But it's okay. It's okay. That's right. So, I don't know. Well, any more thoughts on it? I mean, we're at, you know, about the end of our time, but I think it all begins with a real desire to want to have a holy relationship and to think that discomfort, whether it's the discomfort of remaining silent or the discomfort of speaking up is worth it Yeah. because there's more. Right. So true. And, and evaluating your anger using more of your executive function to do the pause and uh, process to see where is it coming from? Is this warranted? Is this good? And should I act on it or not? You know, that pause with anger is so good as well. Yeah. So I would encourage people who are listening, who feel like there's growth that could happen in their marriage. Maybe have that conversation with your spouse. Say, you know what? I think there's more for us. How could we work towards more with the help of God? Because he, that's the beauty of that. You brought up that it's a sacrament. Mm -hmm. It's a sacrament. And you know what a sacrament is? Grace. It's the channel of grace. And so there's so much grace that's available to us. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much grace available to us in the sacrament of marriage that I think we miss the boat. We don't access Mm. that amazing gift that God wants to give us for us to grow in holiness and marriage. So don't try to enter into a place of growing in, you know, your marriage without inviting the Lord in to be the the, the guide of that process. Amen. All right. Well, we thank you all for joining us today and we hope that this conversation has blessed you. And if it has, please share it with a friend. We would love to get more people in on the conversation. So until next time, we hope you will remain united to us in prayer. Thank you and God bless. God bless.